Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. This is Griffin Strom. We've got Garrick Hodge here today for you fine people listening. Uh, obviously, last, last week we took a bit of a break. Dan is on vacation, and you know, obviously the offseason a little bit slower, but we have a lot of news to cover here today because Garrick, as you well know, there's been plenty actually to talk about recently in the world of you know Ohio State sports and really college athletics as a whole. Yeah, did something happen while Dan was away that was like, you know, major seismic in the landscape of college football? I hadn't heard. Please inform me, Griffin. Yeah, I, I don't even know what you're talking about, Garrick. I mean, uh, listen, it's, you know, it's 4th of July, you know, we're supposed to be eating hot dogs, watching fireworks. Um, but you did know, you do I, your Joey Chestnut impression yesterday and eat, what was it, like 67 hot dogs in like a couple minutes or something? I had to tap out at like 50, 55, you know, I was, I was trying to get to capture that greatness, but I, I simply could not. But no, I actually didn't have any any hot dogs yesterday. As a matter of fact, that was probably a, an error on my behalf. That's but just American. Did, did you indulge in some uh, some glizzies as the as the kids call them? I, I have never until now have heard a hot dog called a glizzy. But yes, yes, I did partake in eating Vienna's finest one or two yesterday, although I am no Joey Chestnut myself. I'm more of a Kobayashi type of guy. But yeah, I had fun on, on 4th of July. Hopefully, you know, Dan has enjoyed his own 4th of July while he's on vacation here. But Garrick, you know, we're not here to talk about the hot dog eating contest, although, you know, maybe maybe we'll save some time at the end for that. But no. the, obviously the big news of the last week of course, is the Big Ten expansion, wherein USC and UCLA are going to leave the Pac-12 and join the Big Ten beginning in 2024, which, of course, you know, all the talk of with, with last year in Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC in 2025, that being obviously a major, you know, happening in college football. What's going to happen with the, is the, could the SEC simply become its own entity and everything like that? Now the Big Ten's made a, 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 a similar move there, bringing in those two teams. Garrick, I'll just ask you first, though, what was your initial reaction when you saw that news? What was it on, on Thursday, I want to say, this past week? I, I believe I was uh, getting myself a glass of water. I filled it up, and then I like saw the notification buzz in our company Slack, and I almost choked on my water and had to spit it out. I was, I was just taken aback. I was so shocked and befuddled and couldn't comprehend what was happening because it just made no sense to me. I mean, it makes all the sense of the world from a financial standpoint. I don't want to set that disclaimer aside, but you know, USC and UCLA have been a staple of the PAC 12 since the PAC 12 existed essentially. So I just like, wow, times are truly changing. And I, I, maybe I should have been used to this by now ever since, you know, Texas and Oklahoma decided to split in 2021, but I, it just kind of was really a big wow. College football, as we know it, is is just over. It's just over. I mean, and it won't be over, you know, snap, crackle, pop in five seconds, but in a couple of years, I mean, the landscape will be completely different from what the sport looks like at the moment. Yeah, Garrett, you know, I think with all the, the recent changes, you know, in college football, college athletics in general, obviously with all the NIL stuff and everything like that for that reason. And then of course, you know, having seen the, the Texas and Oklahoma, you know, move the sec expansion as well for all of those reasons, I wasn't exactly like, I wasn't quite as shocked, I think as, as you are describing there, but obviously, you know, it's definitely surprising, but like at this point I'm, I'm kind of ready to expect 
you know, just about anything when it comes to what may happen. Obviously, and we're talking about a, a college football playoff, you know, a, expansion model as well. You know, stuff just changing all the time in college athletics. But but was any part of you, you know, excited about this proposition? Because, of course, there will be some, you know, obviously some pros to the situation, too, despite the, the fact of, you know, what you're talking about with the fact that this might you know, kind of un- unwind the, 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 the fabric of college football as we know it. Um, but let's get into some kind of the biggest pros here, Garrick. Uh, what do you see as kind of the biggest positive to come out of, you know, this, this move that's going to happen here in a couple of years? Well, the biggest pro by far is that you and I might get a guaranteed trip to California every year, starting in two years. That's for, for a little uh, weekend getaway. Joking aside, I mean, the biggest pro is, let's face it, it's money, right? And lots of it. The, the addition comes with two schools in the number two market in the country at a time when Kevin Warren, who has taken a beating with publicity over the last few years, for good reason, don't get me wrong, is negotiating a monster television deal. And now those negotiations are going to drag on even further because the Big Ten just got a lot of more leverage with these two, two additions. And he knows it. And pretty much every school in the conference is going to get richer because of it. So that is definitely the biggest pro for my end. Yeah. I was just reading an article from the athletic actually, when I was writing up a little piece on, on this topic the other day and uh, you know, they, they reported that some of the, or that the big 10 stands to, to get like a billion dollar, you know, media rights and everything like that deal. But and that was before the, the USC and, and UCLA, you know, a news just broke. So imagine what that number might be, you know, after the addition of those two schools. But yeah, like you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the, the finances is, you know, the, the, that's the, the, the most important thing for, uh, you know, for in, in this entire situation here. I think, you know, also beyond that, though, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, like I kind of already alluded to, can the, the SEC just leave all the other power five conferences behind, you know, is, is Ohio State in the, in the Big Ten in some way going to get left behind? That was kind of a you know, something you you've heard since last year and, and, you know, with the SEC just being as dominant as it is in general, I think this definitely prevents that from being a narrative that will continue. Obviously, like you said, with the, the TV deal and now, now the big 10 is, is coast to coast, right? It's, you know, it's not only a Midwest and kind of East coast oriented thing. Now, now it, you know, branches all the way out to California, of course, which is another major TV market. And then I think, you know, as far as Ohio state is concerned, you know, USC is, could be a major player in the Big Ten. Of course, it's it's been kind of a sleeping giant over the past few years. Obviously, some some turmoil, you know, the, the head coaching hires, everything like that. Um, but you know, with Lincoln Riley taking over the program, I think you've, you've already seen, you know, the impact of that in terms of who he's brought over. You know, in terms of the transfer portal, in terms of you know, on the recruiting side of things as well. So you know, those matchups between Ohio State and USC are going to become a lot more frequent. Like you said, some trips to LA, man. I, I can't, I can't turn down a trip to LA. So that that is definitely you. You weren't, you weren't joking when you said that. But it'd also be cool for you know the Ohio State players as well, and, and just you know the the pomp and circumstance behind that matchup there. And then obviously with UCLA as well, you know Ohio State gets to play in the Rose Bowl and everything like that in the regular season. That'll be interesting to see as well. But Garrett, I'm I'm wondering on your end of things over there in, in recruiting land, what what type of impact do you think this could have? for Ohio State recruiting being that they will now, you know, be a lot, have a lot more exposure, at least in California. Yeah, they'll definitely have more exposure in California. I think it'll, you know, it'll 
may present an opportunity to get a little bit more inroads there, but it's not like Ohio State hasn't had success recruiting California in the West Coast before. So I think the recruiting impact is pretty marginal, if we're being honest. I think that it already enhances their footprint in the West Coast. I certainly don't think this hurts anything by any stretch of the measure. Um, I think you can pitch to California kids, hey, you're going to be able to play a couple games in in front of your hometown family, but you're still going to be able to get the experience of going away from home and playing for a brand name team like Ohio State. So, yeah, I, I again, I, I did write an article saying that this is going to create a lot more exposure for them and it, it will. But I just don't think that this is like a complete mecca of, oh, my goodness, you're going to see a completely different approach to recruiting now that this is happening because it's already just going to bolster what they've already been doing. So it's just going to, you know, put a little extra cherry on top of their recruiting pitch to West coast recruits rather than completely restructure how they do things. Right. Okay. So, I mean, what about, you know, the the Ohio state coaching staff, you know, now making those trips to California, do they have, you know, more opportunity to go out and, you know, visit kids, watch them, watch their games and things like that. What about from that angle, maybe. I don't think so because, you know, Ohio state coaches, when they're on the road, they aren't going to look at recruits a whole lot of times they're going there to like prepare for games. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can get creative, but I don't, I, I do think that, you know, they have gotten creative when they've gone there for like the Rose bowl. Cause you know, when last year, for example, they had lots of targets that they were looking at come and watch their practices you know, St. John Bosco is a huge school nationwide. They invited all those guys out. Ryan Pelham, a wide receiver that's very close to bordering on a five-star prospect in 2024, got to watch a practice and was offered at one of those practices. So they've done stuff like that before, but I just don't know how, you know, the NCAA regulations are going to allow them to get a little bit creative to do something like that when they're on there facing another California team per se, especially if the prospect, you know, is going to be on a visit to UCLA or USC that weekend anyway for that school. So there's only so many things you can do in that retrospect, but I do think you could probably say, Hey, when you go to that uh, visit, watch our offense and watch our defense and then kind of form your own opinion from there. But, you know, again, marginal stuff that I think will enhance their pitch to West coast guys, but it's not going to be a make or break type deal. Right. Yeah. And, you know, also, I think, you know, maybe in terms of how USC and UCLA have you know performed over the last few seasons, it certainly would probably help Ohio State's case. If, like you said, you know, Ohio State comes in and plays in the, the L.A., you know, Memorial Coliseum or the Rose Bowl and, you know, wipes the floor with a USC or a UCLA with a lot of, you know, local prospects uh, watching. Obviously, Chris Olave hails from California. C.J. Stroud hails from California. Court Williams. Who are who are some, you know, big time prospects? from California in the next, you know, couple of recruiting classes for the Buckeyes, Garrick, if there are a, a handful. Well, I just named two of them. Um, well, actually I named one, but the school, I named the school that another one plays for. So we'll start there. Peyton Woodyard, a five-star safety from St. John Bosco. I think that that's shaping up to be kind of a Notre Dame and Ohio State race. Obviously still plenty of time to go there with his recruitment. So other schools could enter the mix very possibly. But I think he 
would be a game-changing prospect if they can add him. And I think that, you know, I, I spoke with him after the decision was made and he was kind of excited to the, and kind of taken aback at, wow, two California schools right in my backyard are joining the Big Ten. And again, I don't think this move has will impact his decision one iota, but I do think that they've established a great relationship with Peyton Woodyard and they're going to be in that recruitment to the end. The other one is Ryan Pelham, who's an excellent game-breaking wide receiver. But they already have two guys in Jeremiah Smith and Josiah Trader. And then along with other guys like Tysier Denmark in 2024, it's not a guarantee that even if they, that even if Ryan Pelham wants to come to Ohio State, he's going to come to Ohio State considering the success that Brian Hartline has had with wide receivers. But he's certainly a possibility of a guy that could be in Ohio State's class down the road, but we'll just kind of have to see where things play out. Those are the two that come to the top of the mind. And there's obviously a couple others going back 2024, 2025. But yeah, they'll, they'll certainly have no shortage of prospects to use their recruiting pitches to in the uh, state of California. Well, Greg, we, we've talked about you know some of the potential benefits for the Big Ten and in, in particular Ohio State, of course, with this move. Now let's get into some of the cons or some of the things that you know don't seem to not make you know, a whole lot of sense here with this move, because I are think there certainly are a few, you know, obviously one being the logistics of, of, of traveling, you know, just making a, a cross country trip like that, and especially with, you know, some of these big 10 teams that are on the East coast in that manner and having to, you know, play, pay for that travel going all the way over there that, you know, even Gene Smith even said in, in the press conference the other, on Friday morning, you know, that, that the logistics seem, seem challenging. And, and so, you know, I can expect that to, to be a, they're going to, the school's going to open up the budget a little bit there with some of that travel, I would have to imagine. What else stands out to you in terms of things that, you know, a uh, cons, let's say, if, 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 we're, if we're breaking down the pros and cons of the move here? Well, the biggest con is probably the, Olympic sports that are going to have to take the brunt of this. I can't imagine, you know, like there's probably going to be some scheduling kink for somebody where, you know, it, it falls on the week before finals week and they have to take a random Wednesday road trip to UCLA or USC, or maybe they get the road games back to back or something like that. And, you know, you're hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Columbus at a time where you would honestly prefer not to be where you could take like a three-hour bus ride to one of the Michigan schools instead. But but again, while that's an inconvenience, the Big Ten doesn't necessarily consider that a deal breaker for making a decision when moth, when millions and millions of dollars are out there to be made. But the more, I don't know, at least personally, the more con that I see from this is that while it creates some exciting new opportunities for college football, it also kind of takes away from the soul of college football from a sense, because there's just so much uncertainty with where the sport is going after this. I mean, you know, there's a report from CBS sports Tuesday from Dennis Dodd that said that six pack 12 schools are very seriously considering, you know, joining the big 12. And if that happens, you know, I mean, the big pack 12 is toast. The, the, the next two seasons would essentially be a farewell tour of the pack 12. So now I would get over it. Certainly like I, I would be a little sad because, you know, the whole structure is changing and some people embrace change. Some people, you know, vehemently say never change ever, but it's definitely getting a lot more commercialized and transforming into pro sports. And while 
personally, I think that's cool because I like, I think we could be like shaping up toward an AFC versus NFC type of playoff that the NFL uses. And, you know, a two conference super team model where, I don't know, each conference has 20 teams and so many qualify and, you know, he expand the playoffs to 10 to 16 teams or whatever it may be that takes December and January. That's going to gr- be great. It's going to make for a lot of mainstream national television revenue, but it's also going to, you know, potentially cut 50 or 60 FBS teams out of the knees and prevent them from winning a national championship, which, you know, not that those teams would have anyway, but, you know, every team always starts the year with, Hey, if you go undefeated, you got a chance. Right. So, and a lot of, for a lot of people throughout the country, especially coming to where I came from last in the South, like that's why they like college football so much because it is so like, you have to be the best of the best to qualify for a national tournament. You can't, you know, if you lose one, possibly two games, you could be done. And, you know, a lot of people in the South are college football fans and they don't like the NFL because the NFL is so commercialized and so mainstream or for whatever reason, but they feel more connected with their local college team and all that. And I feel like you're taking that away with more of this mainstream movement. And again, I'm going to be all here for a 16 team, 10 team, whatever new playoff format we're going to get six years from now. But I don't know. I, I feel like it's college football just won't be the same. And that's going to turn a lot of people off is what I essentially what I'm trying to get at with this. Well said, well said, my friend for Ohio state in particular, though, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, cool for Ohio state to get another big time team, like a USC, you know, a blue, a real blue blood program joining the big 10 and, you know, having another, you know, potential rival and foil in the big 10, a team that can legitimately contend for big 10 titles, at least, we think so, you know, should everything go according to plan in under, under the, you know, Lincoln Riley regime. But at the same time, I mean, that, that could also be viewed as, as a con for the, for the Buckeyes. I mean, you know, obviously with, if there's, you know, more expansion, like you're talking about with these, you know, mega conferences and everything like that, then it'll just be inevitable anyway, that Ohio state will start running into, to more of these, you know, big time programs in the regular season. But I mean, USC is a team that can come in right away and possibly, you know, challenge Ohio State's kind of assumed control of the, you know, Big Ten, because obviously before this past year, Ohio State had won four straight Big Ten championship games and really dominated the Big Ten. You know, this move could potentially down the line change that. So, you know, for Ohio State, that is definitely something to consider as well when you look at this move. I I think that, you know, if you take away my whole fear of this is going to change college football. This will be great for Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State's going to be a national power no matter where they play. Whether it was in the Big Ten, whether they were the ones in an alternate universe packing their bags and joining another conference. But Ohio State is always going to have a chance to win a national championship every year. They're going to have a chance to collect a lot of revenue while doing so. And I think that, you know, it could create for some, I don't really know what it's going to happen with the Rose Bowl and all that. Now that, you know, the, the, the host of the Rose Bowl stadium is now in a, the Big Ten. But I feel like you could maybe, I don't know, maybe you could create like a Rose Bowl game and have that be the Big Ten championship now instead. Maybe that's how you rectify it. Or I don't know, some someone other smarter than me can figure out. But from an Ohio State standpoint, I don't think there's a whole lot of cons with this move because you're going to keep all your traditional rivalries. You're staying in your geographical footprint and you're still going to have a 
better than a puncher's chance to win a national title every single year. So from their perspective, I can't really see any downside to this move. Eric, let's talk about the press conference that we've kind of alluded to already with Gene Smith and, you know, Ohio State President Christina Johnson. We were there bright and early, Garrick, on that Friday morning. That was probably I was half asleep. You said you were half asleep. I was half asleep. I mean, I'm, I'm just not a morning person. Like anything before eight o'clock for me is just uh, most, most of the time, because I mean, uh, most of the blue collar guys working this are like, Jesus, suck it up, buddy. But, but, you know, a lot of times we'll stay up till two, 3 a.m. writing articles. And that's why, you know, over the years of doing this, I've just haven't been a normal person. But anyway, morning rants aside, yes, we did attend a morning press conference at 8 a.m. Griffin, that is correct. You know, continuing the morning rant for a second here, just, you know, I, I wasn't too, you know, thrilled about the prospect of, of having that, that press conference like late at night after the decision was made. But then when they said it was going to be at eight in the morning, I was like, oh, that might actually be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit worse. I did, did uh, kind of have a, well, be careful what you wish for Griffin moment because Griffin DM'd me um, when we thought that we were going to have that press conference Thursday night when all this stuff was going down, like, man, I don't know why we can't just do this tomorrow. And then we get the announcement that it's at 8 a.m. I wanted to DM and be like, yeah, well, thanks, Griffin. Thanks. Be <laughs> careful what you wish for, you son of a gun. But yeah, that, that probably was all my fault, to be honest. But uh, but Garrick, let's dive into what you know was actually said at that press conference. I mean, I didn't necessarily think that you know they said anything too earth shattering. I guess I'll, I'll I'll go to you for your biggest takeaway here in a minute. But you know, basically, Gene Smith was kind of pushing back at the idea that, that that this move was made as a direct kind of counterpunch to the SEC bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, which, you know, how much do I really buy that? I mean, not all that much. You know, he said it was more about, um, you know, the TV deal, the the financial benefits and everything like that, which, you know, is probably, you know, also very, very true. But I think, you know, it has to have at least in some part been informed by the, you know, SEC's move there as well. One would think he also said, you know, he hopes the Notre Dame joins the Big Ten or at least considers it. You know, that's obviously been something that's being talked about more and more here, you know, as the days go by. Um, you know, Christina Johnson kind of talked a little bit more about the the academic side of things and the kind of the cultural fit with those two universities, you know, becoming member institutions in the Big Ten. But Garrick, what, what was kind of your biggest takeaway or, you know, something that stood out to you from the press conference? Well, the the... Gene Smith Notre Dame comment was pretty eye-opening, but going a different direction here, the biggest takeaway for me was I'd like to say a quick moment of silence for the death of the alliance between the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten formed summer of 2021, destroyed summer of 2022. They, <laughs> Gene Smith just basically threw the alliance under the bus and basically acknowledged, yeah, it's dead. And, you know, because part of the alliance that, you know, there was nothing signed on paper because of course, why would there be? That they wouldn't poach other league institutions members. And Gene Smith just kind of, you know, had a moment where he stood up there and talking about the SEC and the Big Ten and said, well, we've separated ourselves as premier conferences way before the SEC went and stole Oklahoma and Texas, to be quite honest with you. And I'm just like, man, I can't believe it. All the, I don't think there were too many people who truly thought that the Alliance were, was going to be a thing, but I, I just shook my head and kind of had to hold a chuckle when he acknowledged, yeah, that, uh, that Alliance thing wasn't really binding his situation and it was nice, but 
you know, money talks. So I just thought that was pretty humorous from that press conference. Right, right. Yeah, the alliance was kind of always a, a bit of a meme in the college football world in a sense. But, but Griffin, they looked each other in the eyes and they shook hands. It was... It did was they a even shake hands, though? Did, did uh, they probably. even shake hands? Well, it was probably when virtual handshake. So they, it was probably ill-advised to shake hands, but they looked each other in the eyes, darn it. In, intense, intensely stared each other in the eyes when they made that alliance. But I, I'm pretty sure Gene Smith also, though, said something along the lines of, you know, like, oh, like the alliance kind of in spirit of, you know, like the, the people in those positions and everything like that, like that's not necessarily dead, but it was kind of like, well, I, I don't really think the the move of the big the Big Ten expansion and everything like that doesn't really align with the spirit of that that comment too well. But yeah, that all is is, is definitely interesting. We'll have to see what goes on with the, the Pac-12. It seems like things might be happening, you know, sooner rather than later. And, and maybe we'll touch a little bit more on that in a second. But yeah, are there any other impacts we haven't talked about? You know, all uh, you know, pitching on the on the basketball side of things because obviously everyone thinks football with this move first, but obviously with the, the, there's plenty of other sports, you know, and I mean, me, you know, covering the, the men's basketball team at Ohio state, the addition of UCLA is really kind of the more interest, potentially interesting one there of the two for the Buckeyes, because obviously UCLA is, you know, possibly the most storied, you know, college basketball program, in the entire country with, you know, John Wooden and everything like that. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously with the, the Olympic sports basketball, you know, the travel is going to be a little bit, you know, hard, harder to deal with when it's not kind of, you know, this Saturday games where you, where you have a kind of a, a known schedule there like football does for traveling. So that's, that is going to be weird, but you know, anything else, Garrick, that, that kind of, we haven't touched on that you think could be a potential impact on, you know, the non-football side of things as it comes to this move? Well, I just want to know how USC's beach volleyball program is going to, you know, survive since they're staying behind in the Pac-12 or whatever. Every sport USC is leaving besides beach volleyball. Anyway, terrible joke. I like it. I like it. You got to chuckle out of me. You, you, you never, you, I think they were scared personally because you never know what Rutgers beach volleyball team is going to look like when they get hot and USC just isn't ready for it. Anyway, I, I just going to piggyback off of what you said. And I think that this is only going to make the league stronger from a basketball standpoint, especially recently with UCLA's revival two deep postseason runs and all that. And USC has been a very solid and decent NCAA tournament contender themselves the past couple of seasons. So I would say that the big 10 is probably the most balanced basketball conference. As of now, I don't want to say that it's the best because I think the top tier of other conferences are better than the big 10, but I think the big 10 has the most, you know, rock solid one to 14. Well, one to 16 now, I guess. But when you add those two teams in that are both NCAA tournament contenders year in and year out, I mean, you only strengthen that from the league and strengthen your position as the most deep basketball conference in the country. So you could disagree with me. You could agree with me. I don't know, but correct me if I'm wrong. This kind of solidifies them as by far the most stable and balanced basketball conference in America. Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with that necessarily, but of course, you know, the big 10 has kind of talked a lot of game the last couple of seasons and and hasn't seen the, the results necessarily pay off in the NCAA tournament there. But Garrett, kind of turning the page here, what, what do you think 
will happen next, you know, in terms of the conference realignment stuff, obviously things are subject to change a minute by minute right now. So, you know, the, the, the inf- some of the information we're talking about right now might, you know, ha- already change by the time you're hearing this as, you know, we sit here recording this on a Tuesday, but obviously speculation about, you know, what, what is Oregon going to do? Washington, the, you know, the reports about them to the big 10, but then after that leading into the weekend, it was, you know, the big 10 is going to hold off and, and, and kind of wait to see what Notre Dame is going to do. Do you have any bold predictions, Garrick, about, you know, maybe the, the big tens continued expansion or where we might see some of these teams go. Oh, I have no earthly idea. Well, I think a lot of dominoes might come into effect depending on what happens with the carcass of the PAC 12. Meaning if, you know, the two Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado jump for the big 12, as they were kind of planning on reportedly meeting with the big 12 today or Tuesday, I should say that might, accelerate the pace a lot more for the other Pac-12 schools as they try to look to get the hell out of Dodge. But my bold prediction is that the Big Ten is just done adding until Notre Dame makes up its mind. And I think that Notre Dame is going to be as stubborn as it possibly can because it wants to maintain what it's done since it's existed and maintain its independence. And I think that the Big Ten is going to force their hand and Notre Dame's not going to like it. So I think they just may be stubborn. And I think that we may see a bit of a standoff here until that 2024 year gets closer. So I guess a bold prediction from anything is that realignment talks for the Big Ten get put a little bit on hold until a domino with Notre Dame finally falls one way or the other. Yeah, that definitely seems to be likely, Garrick. Switching gears, Garrick, we could talk you know, about the Big Ten expansion for probably a lot longer, but we should get into some other news here because there has been a, a whole lot of commitments for the Ohio State football program as of late. And obviously with, with last week, us not having a podcast to talk about some of the recent ones, you know, I figure we should you know, t- tell the listeners a little something about some of the you know, big time prospects that the Buckeyes have been landing in the last, uh, over the last week plus here. A lot of you know, defenders, Garrick, a lot of cornerbacks, not, not a, we, we had the wide receiver run, you know, obviously with Brian Hartline, now the Buckeye secondary, you know, is starting to get rolling in terms of commitments here. And, you know, starting with four-star Georgia cornerback, Kyan Lee, is that how you say that Garrick, by the way, <laughs> as I say that I'm like questioning if that's the, the, the right pronunciation. I, I don't know. He's never you... really confirmed whether it's Kyan or Kyan. I've just kind of been going with Kyan. So we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, what can you tell us about you know this 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 kid right here that Ohio State you know landed last Monday? Well, I can tell you that he's a violent hitter for a guy that you know is five ten. He is very plays a very aggressive ball hawking style, and I think that you know he could honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up kind of playing what uh, under the old guard used to be termed as a cover safety where he like defends that nickel slot just because of his physical aggressiveness and his ability to make plays. I think that he could play either outside corner or nickel and be just fine. I think that he's a little underrated and I think that Ohio state should consider itself very fortunate that Georgia had some coaching changes and, you know, which led to his decommitment and Ohio State was able to scoop him up because outside of AJ Harris, I think he was their top cornerback on their 2023 board dating back to a year ago, which granted, you know, the a new staff has come in since that time on the defensive side. So the board might have shaken up a little bit, but under the old regime, 
he was definitely their number two target. And I think that he certainly is still obviously very high in the new regime's eyes. So I think that he's a terrific playmaker and could have a chance to be a prolific player at his time at Ohio State. Per 247 Sports, Lee ranks number 145 overall in the class of 2023. He's the 18th ranked cornerback and the 13th ranked player in the state of Georgia. He plays for Cedar Grove in Ellenwood, Georgia. And of course, Garrick, he was not even the most recent cornerback commit for the Buckeyes uh, last. Yeah, no, 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 no. The, the, the Calvin Simpson Hunt saga, Garrick, was an interesting one because this is a kid, a Texas Tech commit up until, of course, very recently a Texas native. He's the, the number 173 prospect in the class of 2020, 2023, the 22nd ranked cornerback. But, but then we started to see, you know, heard, you know, whispers on social media, Steve Wiltfong for 247 sports had crystal balled Calvin Simpson hunt to, you know, commit to Ohio state, despite the fact that he was already committed to Texas tech. Then what do you know? He actually, you know, goes in and uncrystal balls, Calvin Simpson hunt, to Ohio State. So so obviously there was a bit of a battle going on there, a bit of a back and forth of some kind. In the end, though, Simpson Hunt ends up committing to Ohio State. What can you tell us about you know, this young prospect, Eric? Well, regarding the saga itself, I think that Simpson Hunt kind of made up his mind on Monday that he was going to commit to Ohio State. And I think when he informed Texas Tech of his decision, they fought tooth and nail to try to keep him. And I don't exactly know what tactics they used, but clearly people were talking to someone in the recruiting industry and created some uncertainty there. But cooler heads prevailed by Thursday, obviously. And as soon as that uh, decommitment came, I was just like, oh, so is he... I mean, well, clearly he's going to Ohio State. It's just a matter of time. Is this going to happen the same day? Is this going to happen a few days later? And then within 45 minutes, he announced that he was committed to Ohio State. And regarding who the player he is specifically, this guy is a monster at jamming receivers and pressing them. I think he is, his technique at press at the line is awesome. I think he's one of the more physical corners you'll see in a while. The guy is a track star. The guy runs like a 10.6 second. 100 meter dash and i think that he's got the speed to run with almost any wide receiver in the nation so i think that he has the makings of a strong outside corner and a guy that could be an impact player as well a couple years down the road yeah garrick well tim walton and company were not done there though because just this past friday the ohio state secondary landed yet another cornerback this time in a Buckeye State prospect and a guy we actually got to see up close and personal during Ohio State's summer camp schedule not very long ago, Garrick, because Winton Woods uh, product, Jermaine Matthews from Cincinnati, com- just recently committed to Ohio State. He's, he's the number, what is he here? The number 355 player in the class of 2023. He's listed currently as the, the 22nd rated athlete prospect in the country, the eighth rated player in Ohio. I guess let's start with this, Garrick. What stood out to you about Matthews when we actually got to see him perform at Ohio State camp? The guy just doesn't lose. (laughs) He just just hardly ever loses a rep. And he was going against some pretty talented three and four star wide receivers the day we saw him, and he just hardly didn't lose. And he's clearly a very likable guy because he was the only prospect out of the entire camp circuit that had 10 personal cheerleaders of Ohio State's uh, current roster 
um, watching him and screaming to assistant coaches offer this man, one of whom was Mayan Williams, who actually came to Jermaine's uh, commitment ceremony last Friday, which I thought was uh, pretty nice. Uh, so it'll be a little deja vu when Mayan was a senior at Winton Woods, Jermaine was a freshman, and now when Jermaine comes into his freshman year at Ohio State. Mine will once again be the senior and Jermaine will be a freshman. So they'll get to play with each other one more time. But I think when you talk about his rankings in the 24-7, I think that he's going to get a ratings boost before the December comes and goes, mostly because I think that he's already gone from a three-star to a four-star based off of his performances at Ohio State and LSU camp, which you know a lot of LSU insiders were saying he was one of the best cornerback prospects that competed that day as well. And he only has been a starter since his junior year because when he was a sophomore, he had to play JB because he was sitting behind two division one corners at Winton Woods. So he hasn't had a whole lot of film as some of the other like top premier cornerback prospects that you see like ranked in the upper echelon of the nation. But I think he'll continue to go up in the rankings before all said and done. And I just like his tenacity. I like his personality. And I mean, the, the guy's a straight up competitor. Say that what you will. The guy has fought tooth and nail and really didn't have to go compete for that Ohio State camp, but felt that he wanted to because he wanted a chance to play for the team that he grew up rooting for. And it's probably a good thing he did because offers came his way from the likes of Oklahoma, LSU and Alabama after that. So clearly, Ohio State isn't the only one that really believes in this guy. And it'll be interesting to see his career progress. And Garrick, obviously with, with so many cornerback commits coming in for Ohio State in, in just, you know, the last week and week and a few extra days there, you know, how how is that position, how is that position kind of shaped out in Ohio State's 2023 class? And how do you feel about Ohio State's secondary in general in terms of you know the the, the recruiting in that class in particular? Well, the quarterback recruiting is done. They, they now have four guys with Dijon Johnson being the other, and they're done with corners. And I think it's a terrific cornerback class. Bunch of four-star guys, bunch of very high-end guys, a lot of high upside guys in there. And I think Tim Walton did a phenomenal job his first year around on the recruiting trail. Um, yeah, guys from all different sorts of states, all different types of cornerbacks and different guys capable of fulfilling different roles. And in terms of overall uh, defensive backs, I mean, you already got two safeties committed in Malik Hartford and Cedric Hawkins. And I think I still think that they're the favorite to land five-star Caleb Downs, though the perception on the industry seemingly changes daily there with regards to whether he favors Alabama, Ohio State, or Georgia. But I still think they're in good position for Caleb Downs. We'll just have to see as the month progresses. And Jaden Bonso is another guy that they're very high on, so it's possible that they take up to eight defensive backs in this class. But Jaden kind of seems to be um, leaning toward Miami right now, but Ohio State is right there, and he's set a decision date for later this month. So we'll see which route he ends up going. But yeah, if uh, everything works out, Ohio State could take up to eight defensive backs, and I still think that they're probably going to convert on their highest coveted prospect in Caleb Downs, but still a long way to go in that one and far from a guarantee that that happens. I do have some very small breaking news to share with you. And if you read a Tuesday's hurry up, it won't be breaking by the time we write this, but Austin Novosad, a quarterback commit to Baylor has informed me that he will be making his decision this week, Griffin, to where he will be playing, whether it will be sticking his commitment with Baylor, flipping to Ohio State, or flipping to Texas A&M. So 
personally, my read on the situation, and this is not any inside baseball. This is just kind of from what I gathered, not directly from the kid, but I think he's going to stick with Baylor. I just think that there's a path to playing time there. I think the relationships are going to win out. And I do think Ohio State does have a chance, though. And I think that's why he it's taking him so long to make a decision that he knows that he'd have all the development resources there needed from Ryan day and Corey Dennis. And, you know, he's just like the rest of us. He's uh ooing and eyeing the wide receiver talent that they're bringing in. So it's definitely a possibility that Ohio state can still get him. I'm just leaning slightly toward Baylor that he's going to stick with it right now, but we'll see. Also possibility that offensive lineman target miles Walker could announce his decision sometime this week. He seems to be the two schools he's most enamored with are Ohio state and Texas A&M. And I would say that Ohio state would probably be the favorite if we had a crystal ball. So two decisions for Ohio state could be coming this week in terms of prospects, Austin Novosad and Miles Walker. Novosad, I think, will stick with Baylor, and Miles Walker, I think, will pick Ohio State. So a little bit of inside intel there for you. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, you know, we're, we're smack dab in the middle of the offseason, but, you know, there's never an offseason for Ohio State recruiting. Lots of things. It, it never happen. ends, man. It never yeah. ends. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye on, you know, Garrick Hodges' Twitter account there. Plenty of updates to come on all of those situations, I am sure. You know, as we kind of, you know, wind down here a little bit, um, I just wanted to, to to go ahead and talk about my experience going to watch some some Kingdom League action this past weekend on Sunday. What um, is Kingdom League, by the way? For, for those of us that don't know, inform us what the hell the Kingdom League is. So Kingdom League is just basically a summer league. You know, a couple of years ago, the first time I ever found out about it or knew about it, I actually it was like Father's Day weekend or something. And I like went with my dad over to Columbus South and watched some guys play. I think uh, Caleb Wesson might have been playing several other guys, honestly, probably like Luther Muhammad at the time was playing in a game. And that was when I, I had just started at the time as like the sports editor for the Lantern. But, you know, we weren't doing all that much over the summer. But yeah, I knew I was going to end up coming back around. I'm not sure if they actually had ones, you know, in 20, I'm sure they probably didn't have it even in 2020. And I don't know. I don't really remember what happened last year with it, honestly, but yeah, a lot of guys will, will, will show up. So like, so on Sunday, Trey Burke was there. I'm sure everyone remembers, you know, former college basketball player of the year, all American for Michigan, longtime NBA veteran. He was playing there. Jared Sullinger was playing. Keyshawn Woods was playing. So a lot of like kind of, you know, f- former Buckeyes, but then also, you know, current Buckeyes as well, which I think is particularly interesting because I haven't personally gotten to see a lot of these guys play in person because a lot of the guys are either, you know, transfers or incoming freshmen. So it was first up, it was Sullinger and Zed Key were on one team together with Keyshawn Woods. That was that was fun to see, uh, uh, you know, a front court that includes both Jared Sullinger and Zed Key. That's a, a load to handle in the post there for for any summer league team, I would imagine. Uh, but but really, the, the, the main headline of the entire day was Bryce Sensabaugh, um, four-star, you know, kind of hybridish forward slash guard. He was really playing a lot of point guard out there, you know, incoming freshman for Ohio State, four-star guy. He, he dropped like 51 points. I think some people said he had like 53, something else said he had like 49. So, so somewhere around 50 points. So he, he scored there and he really had a, an unbelievable performance. I mean, his game just seemed very tailored to that kind of, you know, summer basketball environment. Like they had like a, a guy like on a microphone, like an MC that it was giving all the players nicknames and everything like that. So it, it was that type of, you know, kind of like Rucker Park-esque type of, type of environment. And he had the crowd like eating out of his hands, man. Like he was doing windmill dunks. He was scoring. 
and I saw some people on social media saying like, oh, you know, Sensabaugh did that with with not very good, you know, defense out there. But I would counter and say that he was being guarded by Andre Wesson, former Ohio State, you know, small forward who was like a something of a defensive stopper for the Buckeyes not that long ago, just a couple of years ago. Um, and so, that, you know, that's a legitimate defender guarding Bryce Sensabaugh when he's, you know, nailing step back threes off the dribble, four point plays you know, driving the ball in at will. Uh, Trey Burke was guarding him some too. Uh, Trey Burke like gave Sensabaugh kind of a whole, you know, gave him a lot of words of encouragement there at the end of the game. So that, that was just really cool to see. Felix Akpara as well, the six foot 11 incoming center for the Buckeyes. He had kind of a quiet day. He was playing for Sensabaugh's team, but obviously his, his he, he still showed some athleticism for sure. Kalen Etzler, Kind of a forgotten man for Ohio State's basketball team. He was a red shirt last season. Seems to have put on some some size for sure. Hit a couple threes. Had some impressive dunks. Still kind of unclear what his role will be next season. But yeah, it was it was certainly fun to to see all those guys. Devin Royal, the, the class of twenty twenty three priority target for Ohio State small forward from Pickerington Central. He played as well with Bruce Thornton, who looked very good as well out there. An incoming freshman for Ohio State. Um, so yeah, just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Those events will be going on like every Sunday until I think mid-August. So I might try to pop back into a few more of those. But other than that, I, I think that's just about all we got for you guys here today on the pod. Anything else from you, Garrick, or anything else to, to be kind of looking out for? Well, I'm certainly going to be looking out for more Kingdom League coverages because I, I learn something new every day. You might have to come down. You know, I just might. We'll we'll have to see where uh, the offseason takes us. Yeah, maybe see some of some see some of the listeners out there uh, too. You know, it's free, but they take donations. It's at like a Ohio Dominican University, which is kind of close to where I grew up. So yeah, the, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll we'll be back with Dan next week, so maybe the the podcast will run a little bit smoother. We'll we'll, we'll have to see about that. But thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.